my name is Ali, and I am a Covenant community member, and I'm a part of the Soul Lab community group. Um, and I serve on the welcome team, and I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 20. Now there are varieties of, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is the word of the Lord. All right, am I? All right, cool. I almost forgot to turn it off the mute. Um, hey, I'm Jericho, uh, and one thing I know about the well is you guys value authentic relationships and community and all that, and you don't know me. So here we go. Uh, my name is Jericho Toilolo. Uh, my family will be up on the screen there. My wife and I just celebrated uh, six years of marriage. Yeah, yeah, she's stuck. Um, and so... Uh, in six years, uh, my wife and I decided to cram as many little human beings in that six years as possible. So we have a four-year-old daughter, Journey. Uh, she's amazing. She's awesome. We have a two-year-old son, Gospel. Um, and I blame one of my friends who said, you're going to name your son Gospel. He's going to end up on the news of, like, Gospel was arrested for doing this. Um, and my man is a terror. Uh, my wife has only sisters, and she used to ask me what's wrong with our son, and I said, well, he's a boy. And so uh, that's gospel. And then a little man on the far right, that is our third one, Calvary. He's 11 months. And so uh, my wife and the little guy are here. The other two are not. If you have kids, you know it takes a lot to travel with them, and so we left them at home. Um, and so that's us. My wife and I have been married again six years. Uh, we met in San Diego uh, now we have been married six years. We got married in Reno. We live in Reno, Nevada. And that's kind of our family. If you guys want to know absolutely anything about us, we are an open book. 
And uh, I don't just say that because you guys kind of live that way in community. Uh, I believe in letting people know who I used to be, what was in my past. I believe that God has forgiven me. I believe there's freedom that comes from that. And I believe that letting my skeletons out of the closet doesn't mean that I'm a better person, but it means that there's a God who saves and there's a God who redeems. And so I have nothing to be ashamed of. So if you got questions, feel free to ask me. I promise you there is nothing you have uh, that you've done that I have not either done or been around. And it won't it'll be a shocker to me. So if you want to know anything, feel free. Uh, my wife is an extreme extrovert. Uh, she will book all of our calendar. You can come over and have dinner and spend the night anytime you want. All right. So I played football in college, and this is what Friday night looked like for us. Friday, we would have a walkthrough practice. Right after practice, we'd hit the, the dorm room. you throw on a hoodie, some sweats, grab your pillow. Then we'd drive down the street to Whole Foods. Uh, I don't know if you guys have Whole, Whole Foods out here. Whole Foods had this awesome little deli. We get a Whole Foods. Some people are like, yeah, yes, we have Whole Foods. Um, We'd grab, a, grab an awesome sandwich, you'd grab some chips, and then we'd hit Rite Aid. And at Rite Aid, we would get a gallon of water, and then we would get the Rite Aid brand of Pedialyte. Uh, if you don't know what Pedialyte is, Pedialyte is what like little kids drink when they're sick, or uh, what athletes drink to not get cramps. And you buy the Rite Aid brand because it's like $5 cheaper. And you're a broke college student, you buy the knockoff stuff. And so we would do that. And then we'd go back to the school. And at school, there would be like this theater room that we watched film in as a team. Uh, we would have a movie night on Friday nights. The reason our coaches did movie night was so our players wouldn't go out and drink or party the night before the game. And so Friday night was movie night as a team. Uh, a different coach each week picked the movie. About 90% of the movies I would not recommend in church. Um, but they were pretty great. And so we would watch a movie. After the movie, you'd go back to your dorm, you'd go to bed. In the morning, 8 a.m. was team breakfast. Now, I am too nervous before any game to eat. So I eat nothing before the game. Uh, the same thing happens when I preach. I get too nervous to eat before I preach. You guys have services at 2 and 4. <laughs> it has been a long day. I've been fasting, I think. Um, and so we, we uh, well, I've got a lot of friends. Oh, so, so I wouldn't eat breakfast, and then I would uh, go to the locker room. I'd get some shorts on, T-shirt. I'd have like a little pregame warm-up. I'd warm up my legs and my arm. I'd play quarterback, and so I'd play, play catch with the same two wide receivers every single week, uh, my boy D.H. and my boy Jesse. Play catch with them every single time before the game, get warmed up, back into the locker room, throw the gear on, uh, back out to the field for like the actual team warm-ups, and then it was kickoff time. And as soon as the kickoff happened, all the nerves and the butterflies went away. The hunger would come in. Uh, but now I was just ready to play. And I was excited to play. I loved playing football. I loved the game. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to the University of Georgia and watch uh, Georgia versus Missouri uh, SEC football game. It was my first time at an SEC game. Uh, you know, Texas will be there soon. You guys will see real football in a little bit. And uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't get mad at me. I was just joking. Uh, but we got to go to the game. 93,000 fans. They had a decibel reader, never under 100. It was bonkers. And it was like a blowout. And they were still going nuts. So I had never seen anything like this. 93,000 fans. And about the third quarter, it dawned on me that all of us fans standing there, you know, we got the shirt on, we got the hat, we're screaming, but we think our screaming impacts the game. 
Like, I had this mentality that if I yelled at the quarterback more, he would throw the ball better. Or if I yelled at an offensive player, all of a sudden he would start to play better. As if, one, they could actually hear me. Or two, that my yelling made an impact on them. And, and players, you know, players and coaches will say, yeah, the fans changed the game. They'll kind of do us that lip service. That's not really true. Like we maybe give them like a little energy boost. But we really don't have an impact on the game. We like to think we do, but we don't. Because why? Because we're not bought in the same way. I haven't worked out all offseason with the team. I haven't watched film. I haven't practiced all week. I haven't, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears that went into practice and to get ready for the game. Like, I'm not bought in the same way. I'm not invested the same way they are. And then about the fourth quarter, it dawned on me. I think church looks like this. I think church has a lot of people that have on a hat and a shirt but have never put on the uniform. A lot of people that are cheering, a lot of us that are fans of Jesus, but not really followers, not really about the things of God. I think a lot of times when we look at the church, there's a lot of people hovering around the things of God, but not really involved in the things of God. And I, I don't really think that's God's design. I don't think that's his intention. I don't think Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and said, okay, now you can just be a fan He actually called us to follow. And then he gave the great commission and sent. He does not call us to cheer him on. Jesus doesn't need cheerleaders. He doesn't need us, but he delights in using us. And then he gifts us and wants to use us for the glory of his name, for the glory of his kingdom. And here's the truth is you are gifted. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, you are gifted on purpose. The Holy Spirit has gifted you in dwelling in the believer, gifted you specifically for his kingdom, specifically at this time to make an impact in our world for his kingdom, for his glory, so that there will be more to come to know him as Lord and Savior, that there will be nations that worship him. He has gifted you. But here's the thing is when we read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, notice your gift is not for you. The gift is not for you. Verses 4 through 7 talks about some gifts and says you're gifted. I'm sorry. says you're gifted, but it also says that it's actually for the common good. Paul says that there are a variety of gifts, but they are for the common good. The gifts are given to you by the Holy Spirit um, are to strengthen the faith in others. The gift you've been given isn't for you. It's to build up the body of Christ. The gift isn't for you. It's for everybody else. My gifts aren't for me. They're for you. Your gifts aren't for you. They're for me and everybody else in this room. The gift isn't for you. Romans 1, 11 through 12, Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. When Paul says that I may impart to you a spiritual gift to strengthen you, here's what he's saying. I I long to see you so that I may use the spiritual gifts given to me to strengthen you. And I I long to see you so the spiritual gifts that you've been given will strengthen me, that we may be mutually encouraged, that actually we're very dependent on one another for the spiritual gifts. Paul says, I need you, you need my gifts, and actually together we're supposed to be united in the spiritual gifts, but they're different. You see, one of the greatest joys in all of ministry is watching 
believers surrender to Christ, find out how they're gifted, how God wants to use their gifts, and then start watching them move. And you start watching God use his people to make an impact in the world for his kingdom. And you start watching this happen. And it's a, I get a front row seat to the greatest story in all of history. God use you. It is my greatest, my greatest joy in ministry. It isn't being up on stage and preaching. My greatest joy is sitting there watching God use his people. It is awesome. He has gifted you. But the gift isn't for you. It's for other people. Understand your spiritual gift is a God-given and empowered ability to serve him in ways that benefit others. And our variety in our gifts should be unified in our submission to the will of God for his kingdom. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're to be stewards of the gifts. Notice it does not say we own the gift or we hoard the gift. Actually, we're supposed to be good stewards of the gift. I I remember the first time I, uh, in college, was going to um, play a team in Oregon, and I remember the first time I ever saw a full-service gas station. We pull up into the gas station. There's a sign that says you cannot pump gas. I was fully confused. Don't know what we do here. Had to ask some of my teammates from Oregon, what is this? They were like, hey, it's a full-service gas station. What is that? There's guys that pump your gas. There's guys that wash your windows. There's guys that, you know, at the register. Like, there's people that do everything. Like, you don't get out of your car. Like, you roll down the window. You hand them the, the money. Like, it's like you do nothing. I had never seen that before. Right? Like, if you pull up to a gas station, they'll self-service. If you want gas, you got to get out of your car, pump your gas. Right? You have to wash your own windows unless you pull up at a stoplight and, you know, you got that dude that's looking for some extra, extra money, spits on your window, kind of wipes it with his forearm and puts his hand out, hopes you, no, just in my city, okay. Okay, I know that's not true. Um, but, right, you, you got to do everything yourself. It's a self-service gas station. I think there's a lot of people in the church that treat the church like a self-service station. You show up on Sunday, get your tank filled up with worship and a message, go home and go about your day, never part of the body of Christ, come back the next Sunday when your tank is empty to fill it back up. But I don't think that's God's design. I think God intends his church to be a full service with each member providing for the well-being of others. Your gifts have been given, not to be hoarded. You've been given a gift so that you would give it. It is not yours. We're not supposed to own it. In every area of our life, the American dream is to own everything. Right? The American dream, yeah, they say freedom, but freedom equals ownership. Freedom equals own your job or your business, own your house, own your car, own your possessions, own your life, own it, own it, own it. It's all about you. Yet, Scripture is quite the opposite. Look at the Genesis story when God creates Adam and Eve and he places them in the garden. He does not say, now you own the garden. He actually gives them the command to steward the garden, to take care of the garden, to cultivate it. Yes, practice dominion over it, but actually to farm it. You know, they were like, like work is not something that is new. It was always a part of creation. God actually intended us to always work. When he put us in the garden, he said, now work it. Take care of the land. Cultivate it. The greatest commandment, in in my opinion, is the whole uh, be fruitful and multiply in marriage only. Uh, Be fruitful and multiply. 
Cultivate humanity, steward humanity, take care of it. Stewardship has always been a part of God's design for humanity. We are not the owners of our gifts. We have always been called to be stewards of them, which means we have to give them. When we look at our spiritual gifts, and there's this long list in in 1 Corinthians 12, there's this long list. Understand, no gift is better than the other. There's a list of them, and it says, or does not say, that these gifts are better and these gifts are a little bit less and these gifts are good and these ones are bad. No. All it says is some Christians get this gift, a couple of people get this gift, this believer over here gets a couple of these gifts. It does not say that there's a, a, a list of better or, or, or a, a ranking system on the gifts. It simply says some have this gift, some have this gift, some have this gift. Why do we not have all the gifts? Because then we become, we're not dependent on each other. We're actually... By not having all the gifts, we are dependent on the gift of another person. I am actually dependent on the gifts of other people to start seeing God move, to to see them exercise. I become dependent. You see our unity in Christianity? Instead of one person having a monopoly on all the gifts, we are now dependent on each other to see all the gifts exercised. You skip down to verse 17 and through 20. It talks about the body. Right, and in the human body, every, every part is important. Every part of the human body is essential for the body to function and do what it is created to do. It's the same way in the body of Christ. Our different gifts are extremely important to God's design for his church. There's actually unity in the diversity of our gifts. Understand, if all of us had the same gift or all Christians had all the gifts, that's uniformity. That's not unity. And Jesus' prayer in John 17 is not for uniformity. His prayer is that his church would be united in our variety, in our differences, in the differences of our ethnicity, in the differences of our gifts, probably the differences of our political beliefs, that the thing that unites us is more important than anything that divides us, because the thing that unites us is the blood of Jesus on the cross, the risen Savior of the Lord, that that's actually more important and greater than anything that could divide us. His prayer is that we would be united. So there's actually a unity in the diversity of our gifts. I recently took this spiritual gifts assessment. Uh, I'm in a seminary class, and it's going to pop up on the screen. You'll see my results. Clearly up there, you see I do not have a monopoly on the spiritual gifts. You can see what I'm, I'm pretty, I'm gifted in and what I'm not. Uh, mercy is one that's low for me. That's not a shocker. You can ask my wife. I am not an empathetic human being. Uh, I have always struggled with that. I used to think that was a problem for me. Now I see uh, it's just not my natural bend. I'm actually not gifted with it. Now that's not an excuse for me just to be a jerk or to be unsympathetic and, and empathetic with people. All it means is actually I now have to pray, God, make me, give me empathy for those. And two, find the person that does have mercy and is gifted with the mercy and empathy and go, how do you walk through life with people in this way? How does that break your heart? I struggle with this area, but now I rely on you. Now, there's a thing here about me showing you mine. Because some of you are sitting there right now comparing your gifts to my gifts. Right? The comparison game. Or you're looking up there and go, oh, he's not good at that. He's not good at that. He's we start to compare, right? Because we do that in every area of our life. We, 
We compare our appearances, right? We compare our parents to others. We compare our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, our education, our success. We compare everything in our life. And here's the thing with that. We also do it with our faith. Sometimes we would justify our sin because it's not as bad as theirs in our opinion. We start to compare our faith or we compare our spiritual gifts. My gifts are better than theirs or their gifts are better than mine. I wish I had their gifts. We start to do this comparison. And here's what the danger is with that. I think when we start to compare our gifts, we start to tell God that we know better than he does. Right? So, so, so here's what happens. Is, is we will do the, well, I wish I had that gift. Actually, God, it would have been better for your body if I had this gift. When the truth is, is what you're saying is, God, it would have been better for me if I had that gift. I would have had the platform I wanted. It would actually be better for me if I had a gift. The, we don't pick our gifts. It's not a buffet and you just walk down. Yeah, I'll take a little bit of that one. I'll take this one. No, it actually says that the Spirit gives the gifts. As he sees fit. We don't choose our spiritual gifts. And when we start to say, God, I know the gifts I want. Or give me these specific gifts. We start to tell God he doesn't know what he's doing. And here's the truth. He knows what you need more than you do. And God knows more importantly what his kingdom and what the body of Christ needs more than you do. Here's our last thing. The church is not at its best without you. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. The same way your human body, internal and external, every little part has an extremely important role to the function of the body. So it is with Christ. You are gifted on purpose, with specific gifts, and the church does not function at its best without you using your gifts. We are not the best, or at our best, without you. I believe too many believers are detached from the church. And when I say detached, I don't mean not showing up. I mean showing up, but not really part of the body. I mean being around the church and around the things of God, but not actually involved in the things of God. Too many believers are unwilling to commit to being fully committed and functioning members of the body. It's like when your foot falls asleep. You know, you're sitting there, right? And you don't know your foot has fallen asleep until when? You stand up. And you go to take that first step, and it's just like... And you're like, what is happening? It's like tingling, right? You have zero control. You don't know which way, what's going to happen when you step. You're going to roll it. It's going to be turning all sideways. You have no idea. You start walking, and it's just like dragging with you, right? Like it's just this thing. And if you like kicks the way I like kicks, if your foot starts dragging, you start scuffing up your kicks. Now you're frustrated and you're upset because you got Tori knows what I'm talking about, right? But you, your foot is just dragging, and you now have somewhere to go, but you can't go at the pace you need to go and how you want to go because you have a sleepy foot. I believe that when every believer, every follower of Jesus in the church is not using the gifts that God wants to use in and through you, that the church now is operating with a sleepy foot. 
I think the body of Christ now is dragging some members and dragging some people because they don't either know their spiritual gifts or aren't using their spiritual gifts. You see, both the believer and the church lose out on the blessing that God intends when we all are not part of the body. And and here's what I mean by that. I don't mean material blessings or, or things like that. What I mean is, is going back to Abraham, that I will, out of you, I will make a great nation. I will bless you to bless the nations, that the nations will know that I am God through your family lineage. And then God gives a great commission and sends us out. He says, listen, I've died. Go and tell people about my, about my name. Go and spread the gospel to all the nations, baptizing them and, and teaching them to follow my commandments. The blessing that God wants to bring when everybody in the body of Christ is operating and being a part of the body and, and, and operating the spiritual gifts that they want to do. The blessing that happens is more souls one to Christ. It is his name going out. It is people outside of the walls of the church coming to know him as Lord and Savior. Who remembers Michael Johnson, the track star? Right. Yeah, okay. Who the Olympics, when he showed up to the Olympics with the gold spikes on, like, like hasn't won yet, but my man stepped into the blocks like, I'm going to win gold. Like, how dope are you to show up to the Olympics with gold-plated cleats? Like, why are y'all running? Wasting my time. Just give me the medal now. I thought that was so fly. Right, but he shows up, and, and, and he runs this, and if you watched Michael Johnson run, it was poetry in motion. You watch Michael Johnson run in the Olympics, and it was like, that's what the human body is supposed to look like. Some of us run like, that, that's, not what, that's not what the human body is supposed to look like when we run. But you look at his, and it was like, oh, my gosh. They've actually done scientific like studies on his body's motion when he ran. To a T, every part of his body was doing exactly what it was supposed to do for him to win gold. Actually, to the point that when your foot is, when your knee drives up, your foot isn't actually supposed to be like drooped down. It's actually supposed to be flexed when you run. And the angle at which he would step down to maximize the force to push off into the next step to actually increase his speed. The, like, the, the, the way his body leaned, the angle at which his body leaned to maximize his speed. Every part of his body was doing exactly what it needed to do so that he could run as fast as he can to accomplish the goal of winning a golden medal in the Olympics. I think that's how God designs the church to look. I think God looks down at the church and goes, I want the body of Christ to run like that. I think he wants our body to operate that way. When every member is using their gifts and everybody's part of the body and he starts to go, yeah, look at them go. Look at them go. That's the way my church is supposed to look. I think the rest of the world looks at it and goes, that is what a body of Christ is. That's what a family looks like. Understand, God has placed you here on purpose. God put it on Tori and Natalie's heart to plant the well in this city during this time on purpose. And if God has brought you here and you are a believer in Jesus, he has gifted you on purpose and placed you here on purpose to do his will in this city, in our country, in our world, on purpose. It is not by accident that you stumbled in on 4 o'clock on a Sunday. 
You might think it was an accident or somebody invited you or you heard about this little dinner thing that happens after and you're a college dude and you might meet some nice chicks or something. And you might think that was your goal, but God brought you here on purpose. You are here on purpose. And so if you are part of the well and you call this your church family and you're a covenant partner and you are not doing the things that God wants to do in and through you, then the body of Christ here at the well is not functioning the way it needs to function. We are missing it. That actually God has a desire to use the well to reach the city. And there's people we're missing because we're not running fast enough. You see, there's this thing in the Old Testament where the, uh, there was a temple. And that's where you had to go to worship. But when Jesus dies on the cross and ascends into heaven says the Holy Spirit will come in and dwell in us, which then means our body is a living temple of the Holy Spirit. So what that means is everywhere I walk, every school, every job, every park, every restaurant, guess what enters in with me? The temple of the Holy Spirit. And God goes, hey, maybe I want to use you. I actually placed you there on purpose. I want to use you. You see, some of us have our gifts, but we're not using them. And I, 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 that breaks my heart. Because I think there's a thing in Christianity, American Christianity, where we think the only people that use their gifts are the people that are up on stage on a Sunday. And that's just a lie, man. That's just not true. Understand, he's placed you here on purpose. He has gifted you. And so here's the thing. If you're a believer, you're gifted. We got that. But you have to know how you're gifted. First thing, you have to know how God has gifted you. Now, there's a bunch of assessments online. You can Google them, get all 100 of them. Whole bunch of spiritual gifts assessments out there. Be careful of the ones you take. Uh, I, would, I would reach out to the staff and go, hey, do you guys have recommendations? One I should take. I want to know how I'm gifted. When you take a spiritual gifts assessment, be honest. Do not answer the question so you get the gift you want. Okay? There's a thing about actually operating in the gifts that you've been given. It's life-giving. When you are doing the thing that God has actually created you to do, operating in the spiritual gift he's given you, there's a moment, like with the Holy Spirit, that you just know, this is why you created me. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I, answer those questions honestly. Secondly, you need to figure out how God wants to use your gift. You may have a teaching gift, but the way God wants to use your teaching gift may be different than the way I use mine or Tori uses his or somebody. There's a specific way God may want to use your gift. You may have the gift of evangelism, but not everybody out there is a Billy Graham and supposed to be evangelized in front of stadiums of people. Maybe God wants to use your evangelism one-on-one with a neighbor over coffee, and that's how you evangelize people. You need to learn how God actually wants to use your gift. Just because you have one doesn't mean we get to pick how we use it. There's actually a design that God actually wants to use it and how he wants to use it. So we have to submit, okay, God, how do you want to use that gift? And when you prayerfully understand, okay, God, how do you want to do it? And then you also maybe reach out to the staff. Here's an example. Hospitality. You may have the gift of hospitality, and you're like, how do I do that on Sunday? Greeting. 
Listen, you have the amazing ability that every single person that walks in and you're holding the door open, they feel like your best friend. They feel known. They feel loved. They feel appreciated. They feel wanted. All this stuff, and all you did was say hello. You have this amazing gift at doing that. Or maybe it's to start another community group. And maybe you want to open up your home, and maybe that's a way for you to live out with your spiritual gift. And, and, and here's the thing, is maybe you have the hospitality gift, but your teaching is like, ah, I'm terrified to lead a Bible study. I'm terrified to kind of teach through Scripture. Well, then maybe we find a gifted, uh, someone gifted in teaching, and they partner with you. Because sometimes the gifted teacher has negative hospitality. So it don't matter what they're teaching on, nobody shows up. So maybe we partner and we take the gift of hospitality and the gift of teaching and co-lead a group together. And, and, and you see how we start to become dependent on the gifts of somebody else? Because now the pressure is not on one. Well, here's my gift and that's how I'm going to use it. And I don't rely on you to use your gift. So you got to learn, okay, God, how are you gifting me? Now how do you want to use my gift? And then you got to submit. All right, God, I'll be obedient. I'll do what you want. I'll be obedient with my life. Now, you're gifted. You're called. The church wants to send you out to do and operate in your gift. And your response back is, I am too busy. And I get that. You're busy. You got work, school. Maybe you got kids. Your kids got commitments. You got all these extracurricular. You got all these commitments. All this stuff, you're just too busy, and you start wondering, how am I supposed to do this? Well, here's my question for you. How important is it for you to be a disciple and to disciple? If you're a parent, it is your job to disciple your kids. It is not the church's job. The church gets your kid for about an hour and a half. It is not the church's job to disciple my children That's my job, spiritual leader of the house. It is my job as husband and father to disciple my children. And part of the discipleship is showing them obedience. That is on me. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is my job to raise my kids up to know Jesus. The church is a tool in my tool belt, but they aren't the only thing. It is me as a dad and as a father and a husband, spiritual leader of my household to disciple my own children. It is me and my, what God has put on my heart to disciple other people and our friends and our family. How important is discipleship to you? My wife and I, um, we have a, a community group on Monday nights and then the college kind of young adult, 18 to 25 group on Thursday nights. Every Thursday, I tell my wife, I want to cancel. Because 18 to 25-year-olds, y'all have no understanding of, like, the night is over. (laughs) Go home. My three children are going to be up at 5 a.m. And y'all leave, and I get four hours of sleep, and, like, you guys see no problem with that. Um, I don't know how you function off of three hours of sleep, and y'all just keep going. It's just... I don't know. But every Thursday morning, I tell my wife, let's cancel. She tells me no. 20 minutes go by, I go, we're going to cancel. She responds back, no, we're not. 20 minutes go by again, and she finally asks, so you think we're going to cancel? And I tell her no, 
Because here's what has happened. In 40 minutes, my four-year-old and my two-year-old had come in and asked, Daddy, are we going to worship tonight? My children love worship. They get to stay up like an hour or two past their bedtime just for worship. Which if you're a parent, you know, it's like worship is awesome and then the immediate bedtime is terrible. It's rough, but they love it. And my wife and I, before we had kids, made the decision our kids would see our obedience to Jesus lived out. No matter if we're tired, no matter if we're busy, or if he calls us to go to some other state or some other country or anywhere, we will be obedient. Our kids will watch obedience. We will not simply just tell them. They will see it lived out. My second question is, what rules your calendar? What rules your calendar? Every leadership book out there tells you something rules your calendar. For some of you, the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon rule your calendar. I don't think there's a lot of Houston Texan fans, but let's roll with the Cowboys. Or whatever it is. What rules your calendar? Does Jesus have a say at all in your calendar? Are you so busy, too busy for what God is asking you to do? Are you too busy to use the gifts that God has given you because you don't want to ask God how to use them? Because you don't want to be obedient, because you don't want to surrender, because you don't want to do the things God has called you to do. I had best friends growing up. Uh, Lance and Lawrence. Lance and Lawrence played travel basketball with us. We would travel the country playing hoops. And Lance and Lawrence were our best players. If there was a game before noon on Sunday, Lance and Lawrence would not be at our game. Which for your best players, that sucks for the rest of the team. And so I asked Miss Sandra, Lance and Lawrence's mom one time, I was like, hey, how come Lance and Lawrence don't come to the game? Well, we got to go to church. And so at 12 years old, I thought I had the best response ever. Well, Miss Sandra, what about their commitment to the team? Doesn't that matter? She looked me dead in my eye, said our commitment to Jesus is more important than any other commitment in our life. And at 12, I just thought she gave me the best Jesus juke of all time. Cool, okay, that was good. Now as an adult and as a parent, I realized she discipled her man, her young man, to know that committing and obedience to Christ was more important than any other thing in their life. And it didn't hurt Lance's basketball career. Lance went on to play point guard at University of Miami, then went to have a decade-long career in Australia. His obedience to God did not hinder his athletic career. And I can look at him now and go, man, he's still faithful to God. He's still obedient. He's still committed. And I think that goes all the way back to his childhood when his mom made sure he knew our commitment and obedience to Christ is over everything else. So we're a little bit over a month away from the new year. And we'll get those you know, the fun New Year's resolutions. I'm going to eat healthier, right, or exercise more, um, or stay off of social media, or not watch so much Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and all the, like, I'm going to not be on technology. I'm going to read, like, things that last, like, 30 minutes, you know, and um, those fun ones. But what if the body of Christ, what if our New Year's resolutions actually made an impact on the kingdom of God? What if our New Year's resolution as a follower was, hey, I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to be obedient. 
to God? What if my New Year's resolution was actually I'm going to submit to the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me and how he wants to use them? Or I'm going to be a part and a functioning member of the body the way Scripture commands me to. Understand, we need you. You're gifted. We need you. Like, I'm not, we need, I need you. I need you. If you are a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you have a gift and I need you. My children need you. I need my children to look at the church and go, that's what it looks like to surrender to God. That's what it looks like to worship God. That's what it looks like to be obedient to God. That's what the body of Christ looks like. I need my children to grow up and go, I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm telling you, we need you. Jesus' death on the cross was not so you could sit in the stands and yell really loud with a t-shirt on that says, I love Jesus and a hat on that says, I'm a follower. His invitation is to come out of the stands, put on the uniform, get in the game. I had this thought, what if you're a believer, you're getting into heaven, you show up to heaven, you're getting in, high five, woohoo. But what if when you get there, God looks at you and goes, hey, I, I gave you gifts. Specifically, I gifted you. And you decided not to use them. Here are the people that have been affected because you didn't use your gifts. Or, my son, my daughter, you used your gifts. Meet all the sons and daughters because you used your gifts. Look at all the people that know me as dad. Look at all the people, all the souls that have come to know me because you used your gift. Look at what the body of Christ did because you used your gifts. He doesn't need us, but he delights in using us and doing things in and through us. He wants to use us, and yet we sit there and go, I'm too busy. His invitation is for you to be in the game. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal how you have gifted each and every follower and believer of you. And Lord, I ask that you would, uh, that you would also show us how you want to use those gifts. Lord, I pray that every covenant member here at the well would know that they are gifted that you have brought them here on purpose and they would begin to operate like the body of Christ, you, like the way you want them to, so that we would see more souls one to you, that we would see restoration in families and marriages and kids in schools and in the city, in our country and in our world. Man, we would see creation restored back to creator. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd empower them. It is in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if